Hi, everyone. Welcome to Meet the Rockadopolis. I'm Miss Like Rockadopolis. And I'm Lance Rockadopolis. And today's episode is part two of our discussion of boundary violations, identity, and the boundaries of the self. I included this type of boundary violation because I think it does pertain directly to our relationship and also to the kink world in general. So what is identity? Here's a definition from the Oxford English Dictionary. Identity is the fact of being who or what a person is. And I mean, that's even a worse word than energy in terms of bearing very little meaning in and of itself. So instead, what I'm going to do is use the term social identity, which is more specific and means how a person represents themselves to other people. And it's not just a shallow representation. It's not just about what you look like or what your tastes may say about you. It's really the whole thrust of who you are to other people. It can include your religious or spiritual beliefs, your personal code of ethics, your politics, your visual style, however you choose to represent yourself to others. So what does it mean to violate someone's social identity boundaries? Well, it can mean not buying into someone's self-representation and making that known in a social situation, right? You can call someone out on their bullshit ideas about themselves. Mm. That's probably the worst. That was the first one that came to mind. And it's really, really a violent and, I don't know, sadistic thing to do. <laughs> it's just calling someone out on what you perceive as their pretensions, so the other day, I had a long discussion with a teenager about whether it was okay for someone to wear a Nirvana t-shirt if that person wasn't really into Nirvana, never really listened to Nirvana. Remember, we're in 2022 right now. Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're looking back fucking 30 years, right? Yeah. Jesus. So she referred to calling someone out on wearing a Nirvana t-shirt when you don't listen to Nirvana's music as gatekeeping. The mm. calling out is the gatekeeping. Right. My daughter mentioned that to me as well. Really? About yeah. gatekeeping? Right. About what? About there, There's what? certain people that, that like to protect their groups that they're favoring, and they call other people like posers and just, <laughs> just glomming onto what they originally found. Sure. And that certainly happened when we were in high school as mm -hmm. well. And so in the conversation, I talked to her about how American capitalism subsumes and disempowers counterculture by commercializing it. And I talked about how I myself was impacted by the dumbing down and commercialization of a specific counterculture. I did not mention which counterculture I belong mm -hmm. to. And then, of course, she felt bad in a super politically correct way. Like oh, she dear. had she was trying to comfort you. <laughs> well, not comfort me, but she was like, oh, oh, sorry. Oh, it damaged you. You know, it was just. <laughs> <laughs> so even though I've only been practicing it for about eight years, BDSM is deeply foundational to my sense of self. And as soon as I accepted that part of me, it really integrated into many aspects of my life in different ways or at least of my inner life, because I finally allowed myself to see 
much of myself and the world around me through a transgressive lens. And if someone tried to tell me I wasn't the real thing, someone I respected even, it would be hurtful. But it wouldn't change my sense of self as a kinky person or as a dom. I suppose that's one of the benefits of maturity. Mm -hmm. I'm really pretty solid in my self-identity, which is a little bit different from a social identity. Like I feel pretty good about who I am to myself, I guess. Another example of violating boundaries of the self would be cultural appropriation. Adopting the style of dress, speech, religious boundaries, adopting a style of dress or speech or religious observance that is not from a culture or subculture that is your own. The first example that comes to mind is the white American Rastafarian that Andy Samberg from Saturday Night Live and various shows, he portrays this in the character Ross Trent from a Saturday Night Live bit. And where I live in Colorado, it's all over the place. And it is very, very cringeworthy. You know, the whole white dreadlock thing. I saw that video and it is definitely cringeworthy. It's hilarious. (laughs) That's like a really obvious example. However, while that's hilarious, when I was teaching, I also felt what the targets of the appropriation felt at one point. Um, When one of my students did a presentation on the gothic Lolita subcultures in Japan and Korea, she was Korean American and focused mainly on Korea. And something about that whole subculture felt very violating to me in a very strange way. (laughs) It was definitely a feeling that I had never experienced before. Like, first of all, Lolita is from, you know, it's Nabokov, right? And his novel is very solidly a part of the Western canon. And then to add this bizarre Victorian clothing thing to it, right? So it's it's young women, teenagers and maybe a little bit older, who dress up like almost like Alice in Wonderland, but gothic type of Victorian clothing that is sexualized in a very specific type of way. So there's this... Uh, subculture in Japan and Korea that uh, picked up on that and just... Uh, they invented it. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So meanwhile, for my entire life, basically, I've been surrounded by white people embracing and adulterating religious practices and styles from the Middle and Far East. And then the novel Lolita itself focuses a lot on trashy American culture which as a horrifying but deeply compelling degradation of European culture. Oh, wow. Interesting. So cultural appropriation is really just an eternal font of violation and transgression. And of course, that's how cultures evolve. So that gothic lolita is like three times removed. (laughs) Right. Three or four times removed. Exactly. There's so much interesting stuff going on there with all the I mean, you can, you know, you can talk about it as being cultural appropriation or cultural sharing. Mm -hmm. I mean, just as an aside, my thought about it is that 
there's cultural appropriation and there's cultural misappropriation. Mm -hmm. And to misappropriate something is to steal it, yeah. right? It's to not be giving back. It's not an exchange. But without cultural exchange, you don't have much of a culture. Mm. It's kind of like genetics. You know, you have a group of people who with a you have a very small gene pool, people are going to start getting weird mm -hmm. and dysfunctional, right? You want a lot of influx. Yeah. So I think that goes for culture as well. So in the kinky world, there has been a lot of enjoyment of playing with culture and different traditions in really dark and sexy and gratifying ways. And of course, it's often very controversial. Nazi play immediately comes to mind. And it is interesting and certainly disturbing that the proto-leather clubs of the 1950s would often dress up in Nazi uniforms hmm. and other types of like fascistic military garb. Right. They had those helmets with the spike on it that harkened back to like even World War One. Right. And that strain still exists yeah. in the BDSM world. And it's not always role play. I remember when we went to that one munch at the biker mm -hmm. bar, I think it was the owner or the, or the host who was wearing an iron cross. Mm -hmm. And there was a Jewish guy <laughs> at the table and, and they had a little, they had a little falling out. And at DomCon LA last year, we attended a presentation by a male sub who was originally from the Middle East. And he talked about the Abu Ghraib atrocity during the Iraq war when American soldiers forced Iraqi prisoners to strip naked and pose in extremely degrading sexual positions while the soldiers looked on. And the presenter actually told us that the first thing he thought about when he saw those pics was that he couldn't wait to role play it. Oh my goodness. And that is my kind of guy. You know yeah. what I mean? That is my type. That's truly the magic of kink. It's like turning a horrible negative into something very positive and life affirming. Yep. Isn't it wonderful? And and that's got to be one of the very best things that I've heard from mm -hmm. another kinkster. Yeah, so we talked about our identities as a dominant woman and a submissive man. I think, if anything, BDSM has strengthened my identity. I'm basically a slave type, and I'm very grateful for finally understanding who I am. Before that realization, I was violating my own identity, you know, by not knowing this and trying to live up to societal expectations being the head of household, expressing myself in angry ways. Yeah, that's not every head of household. That was just from your <laughs> troubled childhood. Right. <laughs> expressing myself in angry ways. That's what fathers do. That's normal to me. <laughs> right. And you frequently call me out on it and how I communicate. And earlier on, especially in our relationship, you mentioned that angry tone of voice could be vestiges of, you know, the toxic masculine social training that all men, including myself, experienced growing up in this culture. I can see that because I do push you a lot. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like on the one hand, there's there's your childhood experience, which involved a lot of anger and rage. And there's also me just pushing the shit out of you, so <laughs> right. to speak. <laughs> yeah. So when you do that, you're basically violating that training in my previous identity. And it's interesting, though, because I never expect it. 
I can never tell if you're going to respond badly to being pushed. Mm. Like the types of things that I would think you would respond badly to, you don't. And then I'll be completely blindsided when I push you Mm. and you freak out. (laughs) It's a tricky situation. There are also ways that boundaries of the self can be violated that are generally considered pleasurable and beneficial. For example, there's something called the oceanic feeling, which is a term coined by a priest named Roland Romain, who shared this idea with Freud. It's a sense of both eternity and a feeling of being completely connected to the world or to the universe as a whole. It's kind of like the make me one with everything joke. And the way it's described reminds me a lot of being at a rave, this sense of connection and oneness, at least with everyone there. And I did experience that without taking eggs or molly or whatever it's called now, though I did usually use alcohol. And one time I used mushrooms, psilocybin. So did you experience that with mushrooms? So when I did the mushrooms, I wasn't actually dancing, but I was observing people. And it was the first rave that I had that I had ever gone to. And it kind of freaked me out and I didn't really get it. And then after an hour or so, (laughs) it was a very long night. I began to get it and I felt just like my heart opened up to everyone there. (laughs) I was not a psychedelic. And I felt like I could almost read the minds of the people there, like not their minds, but like read their feelings very closely. Mm-hmm. And I just felt myself completely integrate into the crowd, even though I was like just like standing by the stage where mm. the DJ was. Wow. And there's also just simple physical and emotional intimacy. I mean, with sex, two people are basically latched together by their genitals. I guess that's a form of intimacy, even though it's never really felt that intimate to me. And of course, there can be a lot of intimacy associated with consensual sadomasochism. The main reason why I finally broke down and embraced my sadism was because I finally accepted the fact that it was going to be the only way for me to experience real physical and emotional intimacy. And there's also this idea or goal or aspiration of some subs to merge their identities with their dom's identity, to be part of the dom and maybe not quite Hmm. a whole person by themselves. Yeah, that reminds me of that book that I was telling you about, Beyond Obedience, that talks about that a lot it's like they want to become part of the dom to intuit what the dom needs Mm. that way the dom doesn't even have to ask for anything so that's really radical service right you're becoming the person simply with the goal of meeting their needs Mm -hmm. as well as possible yeah wow i mean in the vanilla world an example would be a woman taking their husband's last name which is still pretty common. And a fictional example would be in the novel and the show, The Handmaid's Tale, where the handmaids are named after the men who are using them as baby-making machines. So if the man is named Warren, the handmaid is named of Warren. And then when she goes to the next guy, she is named the name of the next guy. So if the next guy is named Jimmy John, she's named of Jimmy John. Hmm. 
<laughs> that's not creepy at all. You'd love that, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's truly no identity of yourself. You, you just basically become part of the other person. Yeah. You'd love to be a, like a slave sperm donor or something. That would be your <laughs> ultimate goal, wouldn't it? <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, you would. So in terms of power exchange couples, when the sub refers to himself as so-and-so's Jim Bob, so-and-so being the Dom, it would be like if Lance named himself Yislikes Lance. It seems like that was a fad that went out of style a few years ago. You mean legally change my name to Yislikes Lance? No, it was just like on Fat Life people were doing it. It would be kind of funny though, because it would be suggesting that he was actually my super long dick. Right, because mm-hmm. a lance is like oh a dick, God. right? I love that. I'm growing more and more <laughs> uh, fond of this idea. It's like saying, <laughs> I'm such a dick, and your dick specifically. <laughs> <laughs> so what would be the loss to you in merging my identity? Merging with your identity? In merging with my identity, what yeah. would be the cost? Yeah, it would be a societal thing. I'm not too concerned about that. It would be weird how other people perceive me, but I definitely want to push those boundaries. Yeah, or just maybe eradicate the boundaries that are left in you. I know that you don't want to have them, but there are still those vestiges. And and I think that that may be where that aggressive tone of voice comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I consider that more of a manifestation of my patriarchal training, like we mentioned. And I acknowledge that this is a problem. And the very fact that I'm acknowledging that as a problem is a sign that I want to overcome it and eliminate it from our relationship. And we have identified ways to do that through the emotional intelligence work and and other proposed solutions that we've come up with. We've also talked about me taking your name when we get married. This is also, you know, the merging of my identities with yours. I do have mixed feelings about that because it wouldn't be the same as your daughter's name. That feels weird. Also, just in terms of like you not having boundaries, I mean, it really is a deep philosophical question. Do you have to have boundaries to have a self? I was just going to say that there's a lot of literature now that I've seen in in researching for this podcast about other people talking about the need for subs to have boundaries and basically be able to say no to their owners and masters. Yeah. And that's not what I'm talking about. I think that that is a degradation of BDSM. Do you agree with me? I do. It is not power exchange when the sub can say no at any right. time. That's a joke. Yeah. doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I, I know what I was getting into when I got into our relationship and wanted it more than anything. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know how common that really is. I just know that I do see people talking about it a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think that people like us are maybe being shamed into silence about mm-hmm. it. Because yes, it is very transgressive and it is very countercultural. Mm-hmm. But transgression and counterculture are what I am in this for. But that's not really what I was talking about. I guess saying no would be a boundary of the self. 
But I think there's a big wide distance between even TPE, even total power exchange, and completely merging your identity with me. Real slaves had identities, right? Non-consensual slaves still had identities. Mm -hmm. Um, Why can't consensual slaves still have identities? Can't you still be a person, a whole person with lots of complexity and be a TPE slave? (laughs) I guess my response to that would be that I'm here for whatever you want. Like if you want me to merge my identity with yours, then I'll, I'll do that. If you want me to have my own identity, I'll, that's the thing that we'll do. But do you see that like I'm already myself? Maybe it is a maturity thing, but I feel full and complete mm-hmm. in myself. But I still think like the personal development piece for you is becoming more and more submissive. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't thought about it that much, but I want you owning other people it's hot. You know, I can get five dogs if I want, you know, but it's like to own another person. I realize that's very, very transgressive. But anyway, back to the cultural and identity violations. In recent years, I have noticed a lot of pushback against cultural role play in BDSM. And I personally feel pretty mixed about it. To be honest, I enjoy watching it in porn. I, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I enjoy in porn and in my fantasy life that I would really have no interest in doing in real life. And I have fantasized a lot about historical atrocities, (laughs) (laughs) atrocities of, of violation, not so much murder and genocide. But someone on FetLife suggested, or rather insisted, that cultural role play should not be allowed in BDSM clubs and public dungeons where people could be triggered by it. Hmm. Like how would a Jewish person feel if they walked into a room where Nazi play was going on? That seems like a reasonable ask to me. You know, it's one thing to be a snowflake and freak out when you walk into a piss play session. It's another thing to walk into a Nazi torture scene. And especially given how many kinksters openly espouse racist and fascistic ideologies in their vanilla life. Right. Coming into this world, I had no idea how many far right people there were in, in, in the, the kink community. world. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, to end on a positive note, I must confess that violation is my main kink. It's really at the core of my sexuality. I know that's not true of all kinksters, but BDSM is founded on physical, emotional, cultural, and even spiritual violations. And I think that the history of BDSM is important. So thank you very much for joining us today. So this concludes part two of our discussion of boundary violations. Next week, we'll be talking about trust and power exchange. Until then, have a great week.